This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with your host, Dr. Tony Huang. Today, I'm with Samantha Dale Strasser. Samantha, can you begin by giving a brief introduction on yourself? Thank you, Tony. Absolutely. So I'm the chief science officer and one of the two co-founders at Pepper Bio, we are, where we are treating untreatable diseases. And a bit of big picture context, which is partly why I'm thrilled to be in the discussion today with you, Tony, is I've always been really excited about finally the data we have in biology, coupled with the computational power and tools such as AI and ML to do something useful with it. So thrilled to be here today. So how did you start Pepper Bio? Did you get a group of friends together or like how did that happen? It's a kind of two-pronged story in many ways. So one, it was actually with a colleague that I founded at my co-founder, John, who I've known for over 15 years now. Time really flies on that one. We first got connected during our undergraduate degrees at Northwestern, where we aligned really early on on wanting to make a positive impact in the healthcare space. Didn't know quite what that meant 15 plus years ago, but knew that we wanted to keep in touch and look for ways to overcome key challenges in drug discovery. On the technical side for myself, I built out on you know, how we can better leverage data and computational tools to best address some of the big challenges that patients face. So the technical side, I can delve into in a bit more detail as throughout discussion, but my PhD work at MIT ultimately led to the early foundation to what we've now built out on at Pepper. So that built out on the one of the two prongs I mentioned. The other aspect that really shaped a lot for me and to where, where Pepper is today is my own personal experiences with, in many ways, when drug discovery fails patients. During graduate school, I learned that my father had frontal temporal dementia. And that scenario of not having a treatment available to someone being told essentially to go home after a doctor's appointment because there's nothing we can do for your father. That to me brought a whole new reality to why I was here in drug discovery and studying in the sciences and really looking for meaningful insights in terms of what who are the people that we're helping at the end of the day. And so that really has driven home the impact side of what we're building at Pepper, of really being a focus on finding actionable insights to help patients so they have a treatment for their disease and can go back home to their families and continue living their lives. So many people might be unfamiliar with the term transomics. Could you provide like a brief overview of what that is and its significance in the context of drug discovery? 
Absolutely. So, and just to kind of give the big picture. So here at Pepper, we are building the world's first transomics analysis platform to treat the untreatable. And we, big picture, this is an integration across multiple data layers. So this is from genomics, transcriptomics, proteomics, and then something known as phosphoproteomics. But fundamentally, it's an integration of the most relevant data types to understanding what goes wrong in disease and how to best leverage that towards identifying treatments for disease. And an analogy we often draw to is transomics is doing for drug discovery what navigation and Google Maps did for navigation. So we're leveraging more functional, actionable insights to truly understand how to navigate to a treatment solution effectively. And this is in contrast to traditional approaches, which are more like the, the static maps of navigation that look at genomics alone, which is an instruction set of what can happen, but doesn't really give context into what's actionably happening at a given point in time. So how do you personally, how have you personally come to realize the importance of including phosphoproteomic data in the drug discovery platform? Or more importantly, for viewers who don't know what that is, what is mm -hmm. phosphoproteomic data? Yeah, great question. So phosphoproteomic data is the study of essentially adding molecular switches to proteins, which the reason we care about it, these molecular switches tell a protein, a molecule that is within a biological cell, what to do. So it tells it whether it's more, what it, it's turning on to complete a function such as cell growth or cell migration, for example. And by having an understanding of the state of all these switches, we have a comprehensive understanding of what functionally is happening within a cell to truly understand, say in a disease, what's going wrong. So what's the state of these switches, what's detrimental, what's changing how a, a cell works that's negative for, for a patient. And that allows us to then understand what to do to correct that problem. And so phosphoproteomics, these modified proteins, gives context into more actionable information of what goes wrong. And I contrast this to genomics, which is hugely insightful in its own right, but is only a part of the picture. We're looking at this whole scope of information from genomics and instruction set through to the state of these molecular switches of phosphoproteomics. We can truly have an understanding of what goes wrong in disease to actually know where we can best treat a disease itself. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Was there a like a specific event or like realization that convinced you of the importance of phosphoproteomic data in, in the drug discovery phase? 
I guess I, I would would take a step back and and talk about a lot of the problems that existed in the industry and what my co-founder and I have seen as challenges. We talked with, oh gosh, it's probably about hundreds of researchers at this point as to what they were missing when they were looking to treat a disease and to bring forward a, a drug to be approved. And really that's where it started in phosphoproteomics was a solution to that problem. But I guess I'd start with really what was the problem space that we saw? And so the first was we heard from researchers that they were looking for more functional information. So they were tired of looking at expression analyses that just said how much of given proteins and molecular actors were there and didn't have content and information on what they were doing. So that was problem one, was a lack of functional information. Problem two was folks often noted that they historically would focus on a lot of very specific small sets of proteins, specific pathways as they're known of, and they'd understand those really well. But the challenge comes to be then if you only know what a specific set of proteins is doing, you might miss key actors that historically you might see in more late stage trials that then end up not having, helping to move a drug forward. You actually end up in not approving a drug of interest after a long amount of time and money has been spent. And so there was a lack of what's called global information of this entire scope of signaling. The last piece that folks often noted was missing was how to best link together information across multiple different types of data from genomics, transcriptomics, proteomics, and phosphoproteomics to actually understand them as in, an, in a singular analysis in contrast to traditionally folks will look at them individually and look where they overlap. And that's a problem in the context of biology. It, it works as a flow of information across these data layers, not in isolation. And so that's where the challenge came of, of having correlative approaches historically was the third piece that folks said was a challenge. In and so that's where really the key was identifying what can start to close these gaps. And that's where transomics, the integration of genomics, transcriptomics, proteomics alongside phosphoproteomics brings a more functional understanding through phosphoproteomics itself, seeing the state of these switches brings global understanding by ensuring that all the data we work with at Pepper is comprehensive. And then the third part that this brings together for our analysis itself is we're able to link together information across these different types of data to understand how they interact in a singular analysis to drive towards a more causal understanding of what's going wrong in disease or what a drug is doing. So what were the initial reactions from the scientific and medical communities when you presented the idea of integrating like multi-omics layers? In, in many ways, it, it was a relief. They've been looking for this for quite some time, I would say. It's something that we very early on were fortunate to actually partner with Pharma very early after founding because this was something that they were hungry for and had been waiting for. They had looked in at data types in isolation. So again, that, that challenge of not have, of looking at more independent correlative analyses. They had noted we often focus on the wrong things and we're thrilled to connect with Pepper to bring our functional analyses to, in this particular case, answer a question of what their drug was doing. It's a, a bit of context. It was a drug that was already in the clinic, so they knew quite a bit about it. And they still had gaps in their understanding. And by partnering with us, they were actually able to close some of those gaps and to better understand where their drug could be applied. So indication expansion type questions and more comprehensively what their drug was doing in a biological system. So starting a company, a startup company, especially in the biotech sector and also the AI sector, 
comes with like very unique sets of challenges. Can you share some of your early obstacles that you faced and how you overcame them? Absolutely. So I would say one of the biggest surprises to me that had been an obstacle early on was we as a startup were very nimble, very fast. And pharma is an industry that's not always known for speed. And so one of the facets that we looked to overcome was being able to really start conversations very early on with partners that we would be working with to get to know what their key challenges were, to get to know their teams, to build up that relationship with them and to keep listening to what their challenges were to ensure that if there were questions they had, that's something that we considered expanding our applications to really meet a critical need for the industry. Now, a second facet, I would say that we've been building out on that addresses this challenge of, of speed and partnerships is also building out our own drug pipeline. So Pepper itself, not only do we bring our technology to partnering with pharma, but we're also building out our own drug pipeline as well in oncology. And this affords us the ability to leverage internally our platform to identify insights on targets for specific diseases, as well as on drugs as well. And in doing so, we're able to, to quickly move forward our own programs to reach the clinic. So it's really afforded us a dual-pronged approach in bringing our technology to the market. So I'm curious how current AI models fail in drug discovery without comprehensive protein function data. I said one of the, one of the challenges is current models would be lacking the right information. And, and the broadest information of, again, this activity context. So if you're looking at mutational information, you can glean insights into what's mutated, what changes exist in the genome. And that can be related to the proteome itself, so what protein changes are. However, there's not context on what is this, what these proteins are actually doing in disease, the context of are they more active or less active. So one key facet is you might look in places that are very hard to drug. So think of cancers that are currently labeled as undruggable because the proteins themselves that we're looking to target, we aren't able to do so effectively. Now, by looking at phosphoproteomics, we can look outside of those mutated proteins to look at implicated pathways on a broader scale to see where else can we perturb that will have an effective change to resolve this disease. And that's one of the big facets that we really focus on in Pepper's Advantage is having the right data, the most comprehensive data to truly understand what goes wrong in disease. I don't know if you're able to disclose this, but I'd like to know if there's any case studies that you've done where the lack of phosphoproteomic data led to a failure or a missed opportunity in drug discovery. I'd, I'd actually look to, to one of the programs that we're actually building up right now for our own drug pipeline. So if we consider a very difficult to treat cancer, specifically MYC-driven cancers, we actually are partnering with Dean Felsch's, Felsch's lab at Stanford University. And we've been working with him to look for new insights to see what can we target that effectively resolves MYC-driven cancers that is not MYC. And so that's one of the areas where historically traditional approaches have gone towards a particular protein that's been implicated in the disease, but we're unable to, as an industry, effectively target MYC. And so by looking outside of that's where we're seeing novel targets to consider in this space that we're currently working with his lab to further build out and validate as well. So I would say in that way, that's a really key example of an area where 
traditional approaches have not identified um, effective treatments for those patients. And by looking at novel targets, we're able to expand the consideration of what can effectively resolve the disease by driving towards what functionally has changed in MIC-driven cancers. Yeah, so there is a power in correctively or correctly interpreting data. Can you explain how different the results can be when the same data is interpreted in like different ways, like various? So I'm not quite clear of your question. Can you build out on that a little bit more? Yeah. What is some cons that could happen if people interpreted the data in a different way? I'd say one of the key advantages is if not having enough information and a limited scope of data to interpret is critical insights would be missed. So again, thinking of the kind of case of proteins and mic-driven cancers that aren't able to be targeted by not having the breadth of information necessary and the right data to draw from, alternative pathways and targets would not be considered. And so in that sense, I'd say one of the, the biggest facets is missing key insights that are hugely relevant to, to actually treating the disease itself. So how do you guys ensure that the data isn't just comprehensive, but also accurately interpreted? So I guess that's where not only from the data side, but also our platform itself comes into play, bringing in most relevant information to effectively interpret the data that we're working with. So not only do we bring a broader scope of data through transomics, the layers that I had mentioned, but we also have the most comprehensive platform to interpret relationships between these molecular actors. So one, we often call this a, a reference dictionary that we draw from. So think of this of relationships and understanding of how these interactions work between these different facets. So as a case in point, we have one of the largest resources to interpret notably phosphoproteomic data, which allows us to see a broader scope of insights than would be available in the field elsewise. So are you guys at clinical trials yet with your... We are not in the clinic as of yet. We are currently carrying out studies to characterize further targets and drugs against targets that we've identified. We have, however, partnered with folks who are in the clinic. This was one of the early partnerships that I had noted where we brought broader understanding to a drug that they had been studying for quite some time. And our approach allowed them to see insights that they'd otherwise missed through traditional, say, transcriptomic approaches that they had carried out. So in your like perspective, how do you envision AI's role in shaping the future of clinical trials? Oh, so many facets. So in, in how AI can assist in clinical trials, I'd say there's in the broad industry, there is a wide range of new insights that it can bring. So I think one of the huge advantages that we've seen in AI is the ability to identify patterns and make predictions in highly complex data. And so in the the broad scope, I think clinical trials themselves is a an obvious place where there's a range of information, both on clinical outcomes, as well as biomarker and patient information, data-driven omics as well. And so across the board, I think we'll see dramatic changes in both predictive ability of matchmaking, the right treatment for patients. And my bigger picture dream for Pepper and for transomics is that one day we could actually not only matchmake effectively, bringing the right treatment to a patient, but if it doesn't exist, have the ability to identify a treatment that will effectively cure their disease is the, the future that we'd like to see become a reality. Yeah. So in, in the past couple of months, generative AI has evolved a lot. And mm -hmm. uh, so 
I wanted to get your take on what changes or advancements do you see on the horizon or in the drug discovery phase using like generative AI or some type of derivative of it? Absolutely. So I guess I'll talk first about how we're thinking about it here at Pepper and even just more generally following from there. But the big facet that we see in as, a, as an advantage for generative AI is the ability to identify new content of relationships biologically. This is one of the gaps, I would say, in many spaces is having enough relationships and information to effectively identify meaningful insights. One of Pepper's advantages is we have one of the largest sets to do. By leveraging generative AI, we see that only growing and continuing to expand our capabilities of identifying relative insight or identifying meaningful relationships between actors biologically. And this in and of itself, identifying new insights and really expanding upon that is something that across drug discovery, I think we'll see great benefit from as we grow. So we're seeing a, an increase in reliance on AI in critical sectors like health. How do you ensure that machine learning AI algorithms are used ethically and without any bias? Great question. I think we actually, one of the things that, that we've talked about a lot, which we see is a, a significant advantage to a highly data-driven approach is that with having first information and data across a range of different patient groups and types, we're actually able to leverage a data-driven approach to see what is the right matchmaking of patient to a particular drug. And so by having a foundation that's based on a, a full, and in our case, transomic signature, of a, a patient themselves that we can more effectively match make without having to have preconceived assumptions of, in many ways, binning of information that is, is a proxy for having a full profile of a person's genomic signature, transomic signature itself. So, um, I'm curious, how do you guys address concerns around PII data, um, patient data privacy, security? What are you guys doing uh, in order to protect those? And I think one of the, the advantages in this space is there's a lot of really foundational standard practices for ensuring that data is anonymized and carried out effectively in that. And so adhering to those those practices are our foundation to what when we would bring in patient data that we'd be able to work with on that front. So you guys have to have everything set up first before you can begin ingesting data, right? They don't just willy-nilly give you data. Correct. There's strict protocols that are actually something that we found an advantage that there is already existing practices around ensuring privacy and the correct. Beyond drug discovery, like where else do you see the potential of transomics to make a significant impact in the medical field? One of the facets that I think would be really exciting is in the longer term scope of tracking patient transomic signatures over time and actually being able to prevent potentially disease in the first place. And so being able to have a, you know, like you go today, you think of having your own genome sequence is really an understanding of potential risk factors and the like, and how to best understand concerns longer term for disease. And big picture, one of the dreams that I have is that transomics will continue to complete this picture of a truly deep personalized understanding of your biology itself and how to best leverage that to eventually also be preventative in potential diseases, as well as we've talked about here, the drug discovery side of, of treating disease. Cool. So how do you think AI and platforms like the one that you built can help in like personalized medicine and treatments that are tailored for individual patients? 
So long-term, what I see this happening is that you would go to the doctor and you would have your, say, baseline transomic signature that's measured. And over time, you'd be able to track, say, for example, how this changes. And by having that change over time, you're able to see what for your biology, so to speak, is changing in a way that is against your own baseline. I think that's the key facet is having information long-term that's actually your own personal baseline and able to comparatively look at if there's changes that are detrimental, how to best affect that in your own health healthcare itself. And this could be from treatments that exist, from looking at behavioral changes, being able to see and understand when something changes, what happens is where I see long-term where AI is a key facet towards interpreting such a complex set of data. That's obviously a long-term dream we're building towards, but something that I'm really excited about the potential of as we start to have as an industry, finally, this wealth of data to draw from and the computational tools to effectively identify those insights. In your opinion, what do you think are some like major roadblocks that um, are, that's on the horizon for AI and drug discovery? For instance, for me, I would think whatever legislation passes in regards to AI is it might affect like what you're doing right now in the drug discovery phase. What do you think is like some big roadblocks that are coming up in the future. And if there are any roadblocks, do you have any plans to overcome them? I think one that's been fairly top of mind for me, and there's actually a, a piece that that I'd published earlier this year on how much we can leverage AI for making decisions in approving drugs, right? There's a, for historically, there's a system in place in terms of animal models and that, that build towards our understanding and have been vetted towards how we proceed to, to getting drugs into patients and to effectively moving forward in that process. I think that's a baseline to start with, but as we have more advanced approaches in AI, I think it'll be identifying how do we effectively leverage that as a decision-making tool and go beyond having some of the requirements that we have today for animal models and the like. And so I think there's a huge potential there, but I think there's an, an industry question of how, when we're comparing against that existing data set, that there may be, there, there are caveats too, frankly, how do we effectively transition to a new system that may differ from that, given those caveats, and have the confidence that new system through AI is true and effective. I think that's a, a data facet of gaining more information and seeing the results thereof in the clinic and really a cycle of overcoming that. But I think that to me is one of the key questions around if we're comparing against a baseline that has caveats with through through animal models and the like, how do we move past that? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Do you guys have any exciting projects or collabs that's coming up that you can disclose that's not on some type of NDA or like no talk contract? So I can relay that we are have currently 
to to active partnerships that we're currently amidst, and we're one of them with a, a top five pharma. We've been really excited about each of these projects. There are specifics that I'm not able to relay at this date, but it is something that we're thrilled to be able to be bringing these insights to to the industry and to really critical questions in both what happens in disease, say target discovery, as well as modality characterization as well. When are you guys expected to go to uh, clinical trials? So we are currently aiming to be in the clinic late 2024, early 2025 range. So it's right now where we're pushing that forward and I can't give you any more specifics, but we've been really excited by some early data that we have in our own pipeline program to, to keep that moving forward. I do have a very specific question in regards to clinical trials. If you may or may not be able to answer this, but the placebo effect is a very well-known phenomenon in clinical trials. Do you see a role for AI and better understanding it or like predicting it or like even mitigating this effect? That's a great question that I've not been asked before. Broadly speaking, I would say that yes, if we could, could study, you know, a, a, in many ways, I think there'd be a very simple experiment with seeing how comparison of whether or not someone's been told they, they have a drug versus if it's a control or the like, and actually see what changes. I think that'd be really interesting to see if we had a metric of say blood or the like, something to compare that, what the signal is. And, and there's a lot of questions I guess I'd have around that are unknowns at this point, but I would absolutely say, I think there's a really interesting question space to see what effectively occurs during that placebo effect itself. There's another question for clinical trials, which is I've noticed that a lot of drugs fail in late stage clinical trials due to whatever issues. Do you think that AI could be utilized like earlier in the drug discovery uh, process to better predict these issues so that it doesn't fail? hundred percent. Absolutely. Actually, one of the facets that we've been carrying out work on now is can, is being able to identify successful or non-successful drugs through early preclinical work in cell lines. And if we can get to that point where we can consistently and effectively distinguish those changes, we'd be able to, to both, we'd move forward effective drugs much, much faster. We'd save time, we'd save money, we'd save patients the, in many ways, you know, agony of taking a drug that doesn't work for them. And so that is a huge facet that is part of what we're seeing as a benefit to to work they've been carrying out at Pepper and the vision long-term is absolutely that we would have those insights in early and preclinical. Something that would be very interesting is one of the challenges in drug discovery is predicting drug reactions, like adverse drug reactions. What's your take on like how AI could provide better predictions for potential side effects for drugs, um, especially when they're used in you know, with a combination of different drugs? I guess two two facets on that. So one, and just in terms of being able to predict potential toxicity concerns, that's something that even in that early and preclinical question we just discussed that we'd aim to do that is in early studies and preclinical work as well. And this is a facet of being able to have a comprehensive understanding of what a drug is doing through transomics and through that signature, being able to identify potential concerns very early on. As for combinations, I think that's actually a really unique opportunity that we've seen is, say, you're characterizing and matchmaking between drugs to say what 
effectively brings the most efficacious signal and mitigates the toxic concerns. In many ways, thinking of it's like a, a complementary pairing of drugs that would actually, the second would say, counteract some of the potential adverse um, effects of, of the first. And then uh, lastly, what is your, in your viewpoint, what's your, what do you think about the end game for the integration of AI in clinical trials? But they're at the very finish, at, at the finish line, are we using some type of AI augmented clinical trial that where you have, I don't know, smart classes or something like that helps you with the, with clinical trials? Or do you think that there's really no end game and that we're just way too far away from the finish line? And I think the, the end game is that we're able to, is, is many ways the end game that I aim for the clinic or in, in actually in patient care, where we're able to have, again, a baseline of that, in our case, a transomic signature and understanding of with that, what's the right drug to pair with um, a patient's disease and being able to really quickly identify the effectiveness of that drug for that very granular patient population. I think we've been seeing that historically and in a broad sense, right? Think of oncology. We had started as a field with looking at cancer as a disease of a tissue, right? You have pancreatic cancer, you have colon cancer. Today, we've been getting more and more specific, right? Where you have G12D mutant KRAS colon cancer, as an example. So we're getting to a more refined statement of what actually is disease. And so I think the future we're building towards is seeing a, a transomic signature of seeing that refined definition of what is a disease that gets down to that really nuanced distinction of what is a granular patient representation. So if I needed to get in touch with you, how would I do it? Email is great. So Samantha at pepper.bio. And you can also reach out to me through LinkedIn as well. And then lastly, for young researchers and mm -hmm. or is looking to like leave a mark in the AI field and the healthcare field, what advices would you give them? Focus on the end goal first. I think that's the big facet that to me is having that vision of where do you want to go and why, and and having that as your North Star that you're driving towards. I think there's a lot of really exciting AI approaches out there to in the weeds delve into and to see computationally what's really interesting. But I think at the end of the day, we're going to benefit most and we're keeping in mind what is the question that we want to answer and not what is the tool that we need to use, but starting with that question and then working from there. Thanks for listening in on the podcast. And until next time, stay curious.